Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. What you said about Math Brown? Oh, don't start the pod like that. <laughs> He's basically just saying he was a bloody good footballer. <laughs> oh, right. Right. <laughs> if you're listening, Math, I think he's a chatter biscuit. He that is sounds a really dodgy what we use. I basically just <laughs> know you're a good footballer. So who have we got on today, Joe? This is your doing, and I'm very interested. Uh, Chris Atkins. I read his book. This is it here. Bit of a stretch on holiday last year i got recommended it by someone recommended it i had it recommended to me and uh, i bought it on a whim like a few years ago and i never got around to reading it and, you know and i just took the book on holiday and i read it in two days it's called the prison uh, the diaries of a prisoner a bit of a stretch yeah and uh, he's basically a filmmaker who ended up in prison for quite a few quite a while over a year and he wrote his diaries about being in Wandsworth Prison, and it was bloody fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to get him on. You haven't read it, so you no. can be the ears of the listener. Which I but I have on. been to prison. Yes, I, you have, haven't you? Well, I've delivered, no, I delivered oh, like, no. decorating oh, uh, materials to Lewis Prison when I was about 35. I've been in prison as well. Ah, okay. I haven't been in prison as in, I've been in a prison. Yeah, I've been in a cell. Oh, I haven't been in a cell. Right. Have you well, been if you in let a... me finish my anecdotes, <laughs> you would have found out. <laughs> I was doing a little bit of one-upmanship that didn't need I know. to happen. <laughs> right in the middle of saying it. Canal. Yeah, I delivered. I went to Lewis Prison, delivered some painting equipment. I think it was painted. They were decorating the a wing. And I said to the bloke, can I go in that cell? Can you shut the door, please? <laughs> oh, God. God. 
Because I, I was thinking, what if you're delivering paint, why are you in a cell that you went, you, you wanted to go in? Yeah, I asked them if I could just experience what it's like with the door sh- being shut. I want to go to Alcatraz. You know that? I've um, been to Alcatraz. Have you? No. Oh. <laughs> Weird lie. <laughs> yeah. I've played football against a prison in Blackpool. Actually, when in the prison, I've told you all this. It's so this, boring. But also, this is weird, sort of odd boasting that we're doing. No, it's not. But yeah, it's really <laughs> it's prison boasting. And then Chris Atkins is going to top everything with his boasting book. Yeah, he's the real deal. He's an. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's, he's the real deal. We're just going. I I delivered paint to Lewis Prison. <laughs> right, it's a book about delivering paint to Lewis Prison. <laughs> Fucking hell. But it's a bloody good book. Do buy it. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, I love a prison book. I, do, I think this is the best prison book I've ever read, and I've read a few. Right. But, like, as I said to you earlier, I hate sort of pretending I haven't said stuff, so I'm gonna, I said to you earlier, it gets quite interesting about, oh, Chris, about, like, the political side of running prison and stuff like that. That's what's right. really interesting, but I've probably said it in an idiot way. Right. Hello. Hello, gents. Hi, Chris. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Thank you. I was just um, talking about your book in a kind of hopefully, uh, well, sort of shit way, I, I think. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I wasn't... I talk about it shit way by myself, thank you. No. <laughs> what I meant is I wasn't doing it justice. I was, I was, I was tripping over my words because I love it. Oh, thank you. No, that's so kind. I'm so thrilled you wanted me on. I um... I said, David, I read, I read your, I've had your book. It's one of those, I got recommended your book a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and I bought it. And it, you know, it's one of those books, you go, I must read it, I must read it. I went on holiday last year and I read it in like two days. And I said, oh, great. I text David and I said, we have to try and get this guy on because it was oh, fascinating. So it's so well, good. Oh, the mutual admiration thing. I remember him and her. Oh, do you? Which I thought was, amazing and i think really kind of underrated when people talk about like the great sitcoms the noughties whatever i was obsessed oh, great. Nice. with him and her i was i thought it's so clever and subtle and well written yeah yeah Steph, yeah i can't really take any credit for that Steph yeah you the can you Steph- a <laughs> weird neighbor <laughs> yeah stefan's the cle- stefan's the clever clogs though isn't he <laughs> he just the walked writer. on and everyone laughed i was like he's not even yeah. doing anything yeah like, yeah I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I was always like, yeah, well, yeah, I wish I'd written that. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that. <laughs> so, um, no, this is a great meeting of mine. Um, well, th- thank you for coming on. And basically, yeah, as I said, Dave, David hasn't read it, but I said we've got to, got, if it's all right, it sounds, but basically just talk about how this mm. came about. And, and basically, it's nuts. Right. I'll be honest, it's nuts what you went through, isn't it? It is completely nuts. Are we recording now, by the way? Is this? Oh uh... yeah, sorry. We just no, 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 no. Just want to double check. That's we, all. We just I'll... we just crack on. We don't. Really I'm just, know how to I'll just start. not swear. Yeah, no, it is, and swear I kind of slightly have to pinch myself thinking that actually because I've turned it into content now. I kind of think of it as content rather than an experience that I went through, and it's weird sometimes. I actually have to pinch myself going, "No, you did go to prison for two and a half years." Oh my two and a half years. I thought it. I, so, oh my I, god! Because I read it probably seven, eight months ago. <laughs> Yeah, so I was saying, David, I thought it was. I, I knew it. I thought it was about eighteen months. Which no, no. So, so it was nine months in Wandsworth, which was kind of like the big show. Yeah, like the main event of prison, the big scary porridge Shawshank type thing. Yeah. And then after that, it was then 
21 months in uh, open prison, which doesn't really count. It, 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 and that's why I didn't even write about it in the book. It's yeah, so that's crazy. right. Yeah, you, you Where was that? Down in Sussex? So I, yeah, no, you know. So, yeah, there, I did two months in for... Chris, Chris, yeah. I've delivered <laughs> decorating equipment to Lewis Prison. Oh, and you know I've delivered it, <laughs> building equipment to Ford Prison. Wow. So God. that's who you're dealing with. Jesus yeah, so, Christ. God, so no, we no. know our onions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've driven yeah. past Lewis Prison. I know <laughs> Ford Prison. I know Ford. Surely in Ford you could drive in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, wandering it, it, around like nobody's business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is this a real prison? Is this? Yeah, yeah. What's the point of this? What's the point of this? No, well, exactly. And <laughs> they, that's where they send either like life uh, prisoners who've been in for sort of 20 years at the end of their sentence to kind of like climatize to the right. world. They can't just shove them out the gates because they've never seen the world for two decades. Or oh. like low risk prisons like me, where they're like, well, we've got to keep you in custody, but it's cheaper to put you here. Right. With there's like four officers basically, and you kind of get on with it yourself. Um, right. And if oh you screw up, which a lot of people do, they get sent back to to, to close prison. There's a lot of drink and drugs at Ford. Um, it, oh, because you can get it in basically. Yeah, yeah. People would chuck stuff over the fence. It was all a bit boarding school, and these these um, bags would fly over with kind of KFC buckets and drugs and wine and whatever. Man, um, so like just for the listener, so mm. when was this? Like. Uh, I, I was convicted on the 1st of July. Sorry, that's not sure. I, I was convicted actually on the 24th of June 2016, which is the day that the referendum vote was announced. Um, it was all a bit mad, it all happened the same day. I'm and then fit. I was sentenced a week later, which is on the yeah. 1st of July 2016. Um, and right. then, so uh, I then spent two and a half years on, in custody and then got out. Right. First, Firstly, what were you found guilty of? And then what the hell was it like when you got the news? Um, so the crime, uh, which is sort of, it's, uh, it's quite dull. It's quite a dull crime. It's tax fraud, or it's kind of, it's like a variation of tax evasion. So a very short answer uh, and explanation for that is uh, I was, I still am a doc documentary filmmaker. That was sort of my sort of main profession. Mm. Um, and uh, there was a culture in the mid 2000s where, where films were getting financed through tax avoidance schemes. So you had lots of footballers, people like, you know, David Beckham pumped money into a load of these things and, you know, celebrities and, and uh, uh, they would pump money into these schemes. A little bit of the money would trickle down to the filmmaker and we would spend it on a movie and they would pay less tax. And as the sort of the years went on, the schemes got more kind of colourful and, and uh, uh, law breaking essentially, you know, they crossed that line from avoidance into evasion, which is criminal. And we accessed one of those funds. And because we did all the things they asked us to do, which were kind of wrong from an accounting perspective, we got when the revenue came in yeah. and prosecuted everyone, we got prosecuted with them. Because it in the book, you sort of you sort of quite honestly say you sort of yeah. turned a blind eye to yeah. get your film, no. you know, that you, you don't try and you don't try and say you were wrong. You know, no, no, no. Your, what we did was wrong. And I, I, I've always been kind of, kind of since, since the mm. event, you know, you look back and, and I've always been kind of quite clear of that. There's things that you sort of did at the time and you could say, well, look, everyone else is doing it. But it's like you're speeding when everyone else is speeding. You're still speeding, yeah. right? So mm. it was that sort yeah. of thing. And I didn't, I didn't realise at the time yeah. quite sort of what the penalties were. I thought it was a kind of slap on the wrist, bit of a fine. Because that shocked yeah. me, the penalty, like... I was like, what the? Because, I like when you read in the book and you kind of go right, what, and you go, 
What the f- Well, it's what? I mean, you want to get into the technicality, it's because of conspiracy law. So if you go and do one thing yourself and you're the sole perp, you get done and sentenced for that one thing you do. But if you're a group of 10 people, and you might not even know all the other people in the group, you might even not know how the big group is. But if after the prosecution say this group of 10 people were responsible for this thing, you all get sentenced for the for the bigger group event. Right. Shit. Right. Okay. The, the best analogy is, you know, a getaway driver, and then someone goes in and robs a bank and kills someone, mm. you get done for their murder. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, well, I yeah. was only in the car. They're like, yeah, but you were right. part of a scheme and yeah. the scheme killed someone. So you're now responsible for their death. Yeah. Is, 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 and I was like the getaway driver. I, I, got, I was quite a small culpability, but I got hit for the total global amount that all these other people were trying to steal, essentially, from the taxpayer. And look, but I put my hands up. I don't sit there going, it's wrong, it's right. It's like it's happened. Yeah. You can either spend your jail time cursing the gods for putting you there, or you can just say, look, I did something wrong and get on with it. And I opted for the, for the second, which is a much kind of quieter life, really. Right. Oh. And yeah, so it was when you got said, that what news. Was it, you know, when you got your sentence. Well, what? it was all a very weird time. Mm. I mean, the trial was awful in, in, in a way I, I, I don't really talk about in the, the book. The trial was far more traumatizing than prison. I always said prison. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Prison was a breeze really? compared to the trial for all sorts of reasons. One of the, it's like uncertainty when you're on trial. Yeah. You have no idea what's going to happen, yeah. and you've got no control. Well, at least in prison, you go right. I'm here. It's shit. Yeah. At this on this date, I am getting out, and I yeah. can start getting my life a bit better. I can go to open prison. I can like things are going to start getting that, better yeah. from here on in. But on trial, it's just this fog of uncertainty. Um, so in a weird way, I was kind of relieved because I was on trial for four weeks. So I was quite kind of relieved that it was over. And nothing seems real because I'd never been to prison. I didn't know anyone really had been to prison. So there wasn't anything, another experience I could peg it to. It was so outside of my universe. I, I, it, was, it just didn't feel real until you actually go and they put the cuffs on you and they go, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> go, go sorry, out. Chris, have you got a like, partner or family or anything? So, or... yeah, at the time I had a son. He was right. four, actually, oh, when my I went God. away. Uh, and I'd separated with his mum a couple of years before, but we were still very good friends, very close to each other. We shared all the childhood. It's quite care. a big part of the book, isn't it? Your relationship and how she 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 kept that relationship sort of as strong as it could be with your yeah, son. Yeah, so my, 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 you know, I, I, I definitely had had the best ex-girlfriend you could possibly imagine. She was fantastic and she kind of really rallied and, and almost kind of led my support group and was just brilliant, really. Yeah, so okay. I'm very thankful to her. And she was like, day one, she was like, this isn't going to, screw up your relationship with your son like i'm going to make sure that you keep having a very strong relationship with your son and you know she Amazing. brought him into visit and then letters and phone calls and all that sort of thing so that that i always say that was the worst bit everything else about prison you can kind of put a positive spin on right and, and say it's an experience so i learned a lot about the world or i saw the prison crisis i could write about it but the separation from your love or from your son that's the one that's the kicker really you can't really gloss over mm. that one. wow and so so what, so you were sort of relieved when you got your sentence, but yeah. you, you just said, sorry, there's so many things. Which is that, mad. Like, I, I say yeah, it's more yeah. rational, but it, no, that was no. the sensation I had. But I guess you've been through sort of some trauma there. So it's like a trauma ending. Yeah. And then, but you just said like they put the cuffs on you. Is that the first time you, they'd put cuffs on you and that kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, you also got to remember that I'd been, um, it had been hanging over me for four and a half years. So between my right. initial arrest and conviction was four and a half years. So oh, now it's a sense that, and fuck, that's over. It's weird. And that yeah. all the time I was worried what would happen. It's like, well, it's, at least it's happened now and I can move on to the... Uh, I've just finished reading a book about someone who found out they got cancer and all the waiting to see if they had cancer was sort mm. of the hardest bit. Mm. 
And then once you got it, you go, right, I know what we're dealing with. I, I, I know what we're dealing with. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally empathise with that. I think obviously yeah. cancer's worse than going to prison because look, yeah. I'm alive and healthy and everything. But yeah. I, I completely empathise with that. Mm. What's it like having handcuffs put around on your wrists? Well, that, it, do they hurt? Not really. And they were, so they were really nice because the people who were, once you get sentenced, that's the time they actually cuff you. And it's the only time you're cuffed is in a courtroom. I was never cuffed, never oh, once cuffed. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they don't cuff people in prisons. It's, it, it, but in courts they do because someone had died, I think, the year before. Someone had attacked a security guard and someone had died. So they were like, right, everyone, even like white middle-class guy like me, he's non-violent. It's just the rule. But they were like, oh, is that too tight? Are you okay? Because the, they'd sat in, the, the security guards in the court sat in on a lot of my trial. They had to put someone in the dock. Even though I was on right. bail, I was going home each night, they had to put someone in the dock. And they, I was really nice and they were really nice to me. So they're just guys. They're not... Yeah, yeah horrible people they're just doing a job and i was yeah. nice to them and they're as nice back most of the time but right. that just that the doing of that physically putting is there no panic were you know not feeling panicky at that point that i don't know no, life's changed. Weird. So, so 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 that day i was kind of, i always describe it as this weird like hit of adrenaline like, adrenaline is an amazing drug and and it sort of cloaks you you just yeah. feel weirdly invincible so on the day itself i was just like just buzzed up with adrenaline so much and i'd also thought i was going to get more than five years because the prosecution were really you know because of my sort of profile they were going right let's make an example of him let's throw the absolute book at him he was masterminding all this and all this stuff so the prosecution was going for silly numbers of years and my defense barrister was saying no 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 he was swept up in this he didn't know what he was doing so the judge you know goes somewhere in the middle so i thought i was going to get a six or seven at one point so I was actually quite relieved to get five. And I knew the maths of it, which meant like four and under, you go straight to open prison. Oh, and then if you go over five, you divide by two, and that's the amount of time you spend. So I thought five, six months in a proper jail turned out to be nine. Because I'd researched it. I've been Googling away. Right. So I was like, okay, six months in a proper prison, then the rest in open. So I, I knew what all the sort of restrictions were. So I thought, you know, maybe it's not going to be as bad as I thought it was. Right. And so when the cuffs went on, I was kind of like, oh, fuck, a five. Right, right. And a few days later, I was going, no, five at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, I was glasses yeah. half full in the situation. But even now, I'm thinking, if I went to prison, I was like, right, six months from here. Where's that? That's sort of what, August or July. Mm. I was like, what? Yeah. It just seems like a, even that feels like a long. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a head buck. But you, oh. you, but you break things down to chunks. If you... Try, and I only learned this through experience. I, I wasn't like this kind of clued up about at the front, but this is what I'd say to other people who were coming to prison and after me, and I was sort of trying to help others, is if you just start looking at the whole sentence, you're screwed. But if you break it down into chunks, into laps... You like, sort of like you Christmas. say that in the book, don't you? It was yeah. about like getting to open prison was yeah. all your goal. You weren't... Right. It was like... Right. And you, you had trials and tribulations to get to that. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. was... That exactly. was your Shawshank, wasn't it? Yeah, that was your... That was my getting through the, the end of yeah. the tunnel. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking constantly about open and everyone said, look, it's infinitely nicer and it is than, than sort of being being here. And then you can start to go on home visits and you can go out into the community. And it, 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 so mm. it, it, exactly, it's like that was my target. And it was weird. It was so it was 1st of July, bizarrely. And it was basically end of the year, like literally from the 1st of January. Yes, I remember there. Yes, yes. I was technically able, I, I was, um, I, I could be approved to go to open prison. It took a few more months, but that, so in my, yeah, I remember that nice. was, you've sort of found out and it 
trickled yeah, on, didn't it? It trickled on. But what, but, what, what about the fact you become now Chris, not Chris Atkins, the filmmaker, but Chris Atkins, the man going to prison with all your family and friends? And do you know what I mean? Like I'm now that person. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, for some, without going too much into my past, I mean, for some of my friends, it wasn't a huge surprise. <laughs> Fair enough. It was like, oh, <laughs> finally, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit of a way with you. Yeah. And I got chucked out of university and all sorts of things. So nothing for anything like particularly bad. It was, you know, the drink no. drugs, whatever. So, but I think they knew I was a little bit mad. So they were just like, took you oh, to right. He's gone to prison, um, has he? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... <laughs> So I think it was more of a shock. No, it was a huge shock to my family and friends. I'm, I'm being silly, but the, but I think as well, but people already knew me through my work. And yeah. Because I did a lot of kind of social justice films and sort of crusading films. A lot of the time attacking people who are doing something wrong. So there was a kind of weird mm. boxy to it. But mm. I was sort of castigating the news of the world before the phone hacking thing and uh, attacking Tony Blair for restricting our liberty, uh, liberties during the war on terror and stuff. So they saw me as this kind of do-good right. fighting right. wrong stuff. So to then hang on, but now you're the guy who's done this and gone to prison. That was quite yeah. weird. People to get their heads around. Yeah. Hello, Chatter Biscuits and Chatter Biscuits with Nuts, uh, etc. If you're enjoying this podcast, you need to get on our Patreon. You will get early access to ad-free episodes. There'll be videos and behind-the-scenes sneaky pics. It's basically a place where we all hang out together. And also, you'll be given instant access to our Discord community, which is a friendly place where Chatter Biscuits share stuff and talk to one another. It's like a nice Twitter, basically. Uh, so just go to patreon.com forward slash Chatterbix. Also, Patreon is also an app you can download onto your phone. Fall for the price of a coffee. Once a month, you pay a few quid, quid, and you become a VIP Chatter Biscuit. That's what you'd like. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash chatterbix. The link is in the description of this episode. There, done. Patreon, give it to me. Patreon, I need it, girl. Patreon, give it to me. Patreon, I need it, girl. So, you got what? Sorry, it sort of sounds like crap questions. But first time in Wandsworth, what's what what's going on? You know what 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 yeah, happens you walk when you... The, you walk through the doors? What happens? Yeah, I mean it's 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 almost like de- made deliberately as scary as possible, like in a cartoon or something. I, I would describe it a bit like. Do you remember He Man and Castle Grayskull? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very scary. Like overdone. Like, has someone dressed the set or something to make it scary? Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, one, the, the it's all Victorian. So Wandsworth is an old, old Victorian mm. prison. It's built in like 1850 or something. Hasn't changed much in it's that. still got part. an oily wall. I remember it having an oily wall. An oily live- wall. Uh, there's some beautiful houses round by Wandsworth Prison, isn't it? On the outside, yeah, near, nearby, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, didn't see yeah. much of them. But, and I know, drove past it once, and the wall there. looked really oily. Oh, wow. I don't know why. Sorry. No, it was I haven't disgusting. helped into you at all. Has it no, got no, an no. oily wall, Chris? <laughs> I mean, there was shit everywhere. In <laughs> Google Photos of it, because there's the uh, the uh, prisons inspector has done reports on it that just look absolutely disgusting. So an oily wall wouldn't have been out of place. But right, yeah. okay, I'm not mad. Uh, 
and it, so what's it, scary about it chris when you walk in but it's what's... just the infrastructure straight away the infrastructure is terrifying it's it, a lot of more modern prisons they're not fluffy but they're just like functional buildings but this yeah. is almost designed to scare the shit out of you and it did to me <laughs> going in so it's like huge gates and like big kind of gothic architecture and like lots and lots of barbed wire and bars and just you are fucked basically yeah. is what it is. <laughs> it's communicating yeah, yeah. to you and they um yeah they, they they take you in and they process you and i mean they could see i was shit scared they could see i'd never been to prison before and they could tell by my record they were looking at it going well this is your first time inside you know strap in basically how could um, they see that in you what how are you behaving just well i was still in my court clothes i was still in right. my like marks and spencer suit and yeah. uh, and everyone else in my van was coming back from like they were on remand. So they were in prison while they were on trial, where I had been bailed during my trial. And then this was, and they could just see from my court file, they were like, they mm. tap your name in. A lot of these guys, they tap their name in, and it's got all their previous sentences come up on the system. And for me, it wasn't. They, right. they were issuing me my prison number for the first time. Oh um, and and then you go through this weirdly like dehumanizing process where they say, right, lose your clothes and lose all your possessions. And we're going to check you, we're going to weigh you, we're going to inspect you and it's this almost like this conveyor belt process you go through to sort of strip any vestige of yourself away from you and you get these horrible prison clothes which are like i think i say in the book it's like a tramp died in them they're just like disgusting gray tracksuits that just stank and were way too big I mean, oh because you like, you you try you have to save up to get clothes, don't you? Or you yeah. have it sent in or something. That's well, like you, a you, massive you can, thing, isn't it? You can take you clothes book. with you, but you've got to wait. There's this weird... Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. ...system. Everything is just so overcomplicated in prisons. Mm -hmm. But you have this um, like behavioural point system is the best way I can describe it, describe it. So you start at the lowest level, and then you rise up through the levels and you get points and prizes. And then you, you get to enhance level, <laughs> and that's when you can access your own clothes and you can wear your own clothes. But that took... That takes months to, to to get to that point. So initially, you're like, no, you've got to wear the horrible shit that that. Someone... How, how does that feel when you've got when your your items are taken away and your clothes and your? How does that feel? Terrible. I mean, because you're like, you come with your stuff and you've gone online and like my mate was going all over the prison blogs and it's like, here's what you can take. Yeah. I was like, okay, I've got everything ready. And then you take that stuff and then most of it then gets taken away. And you're like, oh, can't I have my sock? And they're like, no, no, you get those later. And you're like, oh, great. Um, some stuff you can take, like your books. I took loads of books. So the books I can keep. Okay. And like, so, so, so weird things, like some toiletries you can keep. So some things go, and it's quite arbitrary. Like they said, take a watch because you never know what the time is inside. It drives oh. you mad. So I took a really oh. cheap watch, like an Argo, the cheap, cheap, cheap 10 pound Argos watch. And they looked at it and went, yeah, it's got a stopwatch on. You're not allowed to stopwatch. So they took my watch away. And I was like, why? What? I still oh, don't yeah. know what's the, the problem with oh, stopwatches. Yeah, you, said, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you never found out why, did you? <laughs> not like a James Bond laser thing. What have I, I don't ever use a stopwatch on my watch. Like, I, I, yeah. I'll promise not to use it. But So straight away, you're just thrown into a system with lots and lots of weird arbitrary rules some of which are enforced some aren't and different officers enforce different rules different ways so you're straight away being thrown into a very very kind of dysfunctional chaotic archaic system that you're just completely blinded by you're trying to work out how do i get a phone call how do i get a shower and it's just like yeah. no one knows so when you're when you're entering how much of you uh is thinking about the your fellow prisoners and the threat from them and 
the horror stories you might yeah. have heard. And... Yeah, there was quite a bit of that. Uh, you know, I won't lie, but I'd also thought, you know, you know, to sort of keep your head down and make friends and you might not get your head kind of kicked. Yeah. I suppose as a kind of journalist and documentary maker, you, you're constantly going into odd situations. Yeah. Constantly. Right. I've had to film in sort of riots and do I mean, nothing as intense as a prison, but I've had to go into some quite dicey situations. I used to do a lot of undercover work. So I thought, like, click into that mode and just going to keep you very hyper aware and just trying not to catch anyone's eye or, or piss anyone off. But you realize when I got onto the wing, so I did all that processing. Yeah. Then they say, well, you're going to go onto the wing and someone will take you from there and find you a cell. When you go on the wing, that's when it's like, fuck, like we are through the looking glass because it's huge. It's like, a, it's like the inside of a church, the best way I can describe it, with different layers going up, different tiers. So is this, do you have to, sorry, go through some gates or doors to get into that yeah wing, no it's just it a corridor up. it's right. just a weird corridor then you okay. pop out the side it's like you go oh through a wormhole god. so you're like i'll go through this door go through this door and then you can hear the banging and then they open oh the my god and then you're like <laughs> this is <laughs> like neo in the matrix you know like, yeah you know when he goes into I'm the real world so, oh, yeah, yeah so what are you hearing when you walk in you say there's banging. The noise the noise is, is it, overwhelming really and do you get used to that or is that always yes, what is that noise it's just shouting and a lot of banging because lots of, so, so because of all the funding cuts lots of people are just locked in their cells all day oh like most prisons are just stuck in cells 23 hours a day and especially on the induction wing so the first wing you go onto is the biggest wing it's the induction wing and it's and is nicknamed... that the worst wing is that the... five miles yeah 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 and it's nicknamed beirut that's what the officers and right. sort of prisoners call it and because a lot of the people on it have mental health problems or they're coming down from drug withdrawal. So, right. and, and they're locked in the right. cell all day. So they kick the cell door, there's big metal doors. They just kick constantly. And the noise of that is that, and they're screaming and shouting and people are playing music and officers are shouting and, and it, and it's in this kind of cavernous hall, like yeah. massive space. Just so echoes. it echoes. Yeah. Right. Constantly. So you're just like, and, and that, and would you say that, I think in the book is the the level of mental health in the prison is mm. insane, right? It's just it's so yeah. prevalent. They're not they're prison; just... they're, they're they're lunatic asylums. I mean, yeah. in, in in that sense, there's most people in there have some form of mental health problem, and that is what has led them to be yeah. inside. So yeah. you imagine there's going to be like Fletch and Gobbler, and you know all the people <laughs> from Orange, and it's yeah. not that at all. There's just all these people who are having psychotic episodes around the place. It's how many levels are there in that wing and how many cells per level? Four, four levels. Right. And there's a, it's hundreds and hundreds of cells. So I think on that wing was about 250 cells. Just to, just to, that volume of people and size of a thing. I don't think yeah. I've been in a, a building with that. You know what I mean? Like It's a church, size. It's size of a small church and that's one wing and one has five wings like that. But that one is the big. I think that was the biggest. But it's yeah. And how long were you on there for? Oh. I was on there for a couple of weeks. Right. So, so you get walked to your cell mm. past other cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go up. Is this like a? You know, you walk. You, is this from. kind of a like Hannibal Lecter situation where you look in and Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more the noise. You can just hear the banging. Yeah, it's the, it's the kicking of the doors. Because so I cell, guess the doors have just got. Tiny little holes. They've got they, a or? slit like that. They've got a slit down the middle. Almost like yeah. an arrow slit yeah. of glass. And there's glass. There's some people smashed it out, which is the observation panel. 
So that's people you either look in or look out the OBS panel. And then I got moved. And, and bizarrely, there was a guy there. So lo- lots of prisons are run by the prisoners. They get given the jobs to do that the officers don't have time to. Which you ended but up doing, didn't you? I ended up getting, yeah, like yeah. 10 jobs in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but there was a prisoner there whose job it was to allocate new prisoners to cells. Mm. He was doing all that. And he happened to know two of my co-defendants who'd been prosecuted on an earlier trial in my case and had already been through Wandsworth. Right. But I never met them. That was, a, that was a problem in my trial, the fact that I didn't know who these people were. Um, but I didn't say I, I never met these guys. He said, oh, you're these guys, Cody, mm. Cody, short co-defendant. He goes, so he says, oh, I'll look after you. So I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I know them. Um, so he said, I'll find you a cellmate who's not like completely mad. And he did. He found me this kind of, this kind of slightly old school drug dealer type who was just vaguely normal. I mean, it's all comparative inside, isn't it? But yeah. He was quite nice. And he, he'd he been in and out of prison for like 15 years. So he knew the system. So he'd just been picked up on an arrest warrant in Spain and brought back. Uh, and he, he was a bit porridge, actually. I, th- I did fine. like him. In, I did like him in the book. I was like, ooh, yeah. I'm sort of warming to it. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The way, way you painted it, I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine, I had a lot yeah. of fondness for him because just because mm. he saw he when I first walked into that prison, I was just like, ooh, and he was just like, sit down, have a cup of tea. It's going to be all right, and I was going to kill you. It's going to be okay. <laughs> how how were you treated by other prisoners when you walked to your cell for the first? Not time, at all. They? There weren't any. They were either screaming. They just ignore you. That's Do the they? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they've all got their own problems. So. Mm. A lot of people do generally just just ignore you if you're not sort of in their way or you're kind of causing them a problem. They've got their own shit going on, okay. and you, you just kind of slightly hide. Did you learn that quite early? Like that's that's the way to navigate this. I was slightly advised, okay. but also we were locked in our cell all day, so it wasn't like we were out and about with a lot of people most of the time. It was me and I call him Ted in the book, just sat in our mm. cell watching the Olympics because the Olympics was on. So we just drank tea and watched the Olympics. There wasn't anything else to do. Chris, when I um there's two things. When I've whenever I've seen it on TV or something, you you join the cell and there's someone there, I, I immediately go, Well, how the hell am I gonna sleep with you underneath me? Because you're gonna make loads of noises and I'm yeah. gonna be up all night. Is that and then <laughs> I did a bit of filming last year and we filmed in a cell and they had to shut the door at the start of the scene. Yeah. I panicky straight away. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. just the, the smallness of the space. And what did that feel like when they first shut that door? Yeah, it wasn't you? so bad. In, I don't know if they downplay. I had some very dark times there. But initially, it wasn't so bad because, one, I'd just seen the horror outside. So there's a little bit of, well, at least the door right. shut. I can't get out, but no, right. no okay. one else can get in. God. Yeah. So wow. i just seen all these kind of crazy people running around the wing. Who, who looked like, you know, you didn't want to spend too much time in their company. So there was a reassuringness to the door. Right, being right. Like, I was completely, I didn't really eat much during my trial. I just, I was so anxious and stressed. I couldn't really eat. So I was very, very weak physically. I hadn't slept much during my trial. I had to take sleeping pills to sleep and I still only got about three, four hours sleep a night. So I was a wreck. So actually lying down on the bed and that relief that all this is over and I could suddenly eat again. So anything, like biscuits or anything, food, food I could right. get. I could eat. So actually, it was kind of therapeutic. I don't want to like, it was horrible. Mm. But just lying on a bed with a telly on, drinking tea, was like, okay, I can do this. And what I did, did you I, do? I wasn't, good, first... I, wasn't, I wasn't good for anything more than that. Those first few hours, what did you do in that cell? I just chatted to the guy. I just yeah. chatted And I say he was very chatty. He, yeah. was, he, he was lonely. He was bored. Yeah. I wanted someone to chat to. 
and and I was there to chat to him. So he and, he chatted. And did you feel like quite early on, like oh, this is like it's going to be fine with it? You know, like you felt like oh, with oh, him, okay. yeah, yeah. I thought. I mean, the thing is, I've, I've spoken to so many other people. I, I did my own podcast about other people I know who went to prison. It's us talking about our God. prison experiences. I'm definitely going to listen to this. And and so if you hear that one, you hear some of the horror stories about people. for Because quite often they go in and it's just like, here, here's a cell. And you go in and the guy's completely mad. Or he's coming down from heroin. Or he's hearing voices in the night and screaming. Or watching telly. Through the night. There's so many horror stories of like your first night. Fucking mm. cellmate. What's your podcast, Chris? For it's called forget. a bit of a stretch. It's called a bit of a stretch. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's me interviewing like twenty people I did time with. Well, that's the next two weeks of my life. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Ted was okay. He was he was quite racist. He was. Oh, very- you, you you say in the book like uh, oh, forgive we that. had differing. You had to sort of let things go. I think you said like- <laughs> well, quite left wing and yeah, quite yeah. right on and progressive. Yeah. And he was like. Not none of those things, but no. he was keeping me alive. So he made a crack. Yeah, cavity. exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Let's just yeah, let's on. Just, yeah. <laughs> what about that first night when the lights are off and well, you're I in bed? So well, I slept. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I slept so because I hadn't slept. I hadn't slept. Right. I've been on trial for four weeks. And I hadn't slept, and I've been drinking a lot, and I've been smoking a lot, I've been taking a lot of pay, uh, sleeping tablets. So it, all that was kind of going out of my system, and it was okay. just like I had a really good night's sleep. There's a line in I don't even remember you, the Usual Suspects. Yes. There's a line in that where they say you get five guys, you pull them in, mm, and, you wait, wait, and you see which one sleeps, and that's the guilty yeah. one because he knows yeah. he's been caught and he can sleep. Yeah, and that really um, yeah. hit home for me. I slept really well that first night. I never understood the context though until now, where you go all the weights off now, all the yeah. worry, all the looking over your shoulders. Gone. Yeah, right. Oh my god! And the waking up in the morning, going, "Oh, I'm in prison." Oh, I was just like, "Where the fuck?" Oh, that was mad. That that was like, "Where the fuck am I? Am I really here?" It took weeks to actually settle in even after two or three months you're walking around you have to sort of pinch yourself going i am actually inside prison now can you actually me and my cellmate when i had a good friend cellmate we would laugh about it we were like we're in fucking prison like we, well, that, is, it, is this later on when you kind of i can't think, but you ended up you sort of say in the book you end up in a little white collar gang yeah. kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. and you've it's really interesting in the book and i think so because like you 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 work the system totally to your advantage and and it sounds awful because You've got you're a bright guy, and you go well. If we do that, and you get the cell yeah, with the yeah, extra yeah, yeah. with basically an ensuite or whatever you you know like the you kind of it's really interesting. You kind of say you're very sort of open again, going these people just didn't know what they weren't coping, and you you were going well. If we do that, and if I do that yeah. job as well, that'll so yeah. you're getting all these jobs, and it to me it sort of felt like common sense you were saying i'll get all these jobs which will fill my time yes and i'll get the privileges that come with it yeah 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 and this and that and it all was sort of very common sense the way yeah, you talk yeah. about it but well, people like a computer weren't doing game it. it's like if you get the the rope and you take it to the princess she gives you the bag of gold and you give it to the monkey and then he lets you through the door <laughs> it's, Good game, sort of... it's a cracking little game <laughs> <laughs> you, you sure you want like that on the pod you should you should probably uh patent yeah. that before it goes yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it was like a weird computer game with different levels and you had to achieve certain tasks, but it didn't make any sense. Well, that's the funny thing in the book. You would say, like, 
it sounded like if you're playing a computer game where but then you'd go to the level and all the all the rules had changed in the game in that one level and no one had told you so you'd done everything you you know you'd do anything you needed to do to get what you needed then they go oh no you need you don't need to do that now you just have to do this and you'd back to square one and stuff that was it was such a broken system, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the, it all comes down to funding cuts, right? You know, the, the, uh, after austerity in 2010, all public services got cut, but none more so proportionally than the, the criminal justice system, which I think was cut by about 40% of their budget. And prisons took a huge brunt of that, which just meant they just cut officer numbers. So the number of prisoners has remained about the same. We've had about 85,000-ish prisoners in the UK for ages. But then they cut took... The number of staff down by about a third right. to, 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 to run them. So it just meant there was fewer staff around. So things like and all the basics they had to keep, like they've got to keep people in the prison. They've got to feed them. But everything else pretty much got cut. So things like education and mental health and like courses and uh, uh, training and, and trying to get people access to housing, all that stuff got cut. Actually, because there just weren't the officers there to unlock people to take them to these things. So you might have a class or uh, a course being run in the prison, but people wouldn't turn up because they're all still stuck in their cells because the officers mm. haven't unlocked that, them. That's so that's a huge yeah. that that was a huge defining feature of my time. There was just them just the place not running properly because because that's that's the turn in the book that that, that I found really interesting when you start talking about all the the sort of that that side of stuff. You start because you're you're living it. You yeah. see the repercussions of all these cuts, and it's a bit of an eye opener for the reader. You know, it's great. You know, you, you sort of you start reading it because you let's be honest, you're fascinated with your story of what you went through. But yeah. then you start talking about all the different things, like you know, like how how the cuts had affected the people in the prison, mm. and it's like a real sort of insight, which I think is quite surprising in the book. All the sort of stuff you learn about. Yeah, I did some journalism story. along the way, and then. But weirdly, those cut, those very same cuts that were fucking the system also helped in the way you were just mentioning, Joe, because it meant that they needed sort of educated, vaguely trustworthy middle class people like myself in order to help keep the place running. So right. it was quite quick, actually, after I, I sort of moved different wings and I got on sort of the best wing, which is the calmest wing, was where you got more unlocked time. And quite soon the officers were saying, you know, can you do this job? Can you do this? Mm. And I just, my policy was just say yes to everything. Because as you noted, it got me, each job I got, got me at my cell more. Yeah. And, and, and kept me busy. So the days were suddenly, it gave me something else to concentrate on rather than mm. just, fuck, I'm in prison. Because it was about getting out of the cell, wasn't it? In the book, it's like, you, cell, you, yeah. you felt, you, you talk about kind of everyone being inside and you're, you're running errands. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of in an empty prison, really. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it's mad. Which right, sounded right. like yeah. like nuts. You go onto wings, and everyone would be locked in the cell. Everyone's kicking their doors trying to get out, and I'd be the only one. So I'd just be delivering slips or ticking names off a list or just doing anything the officers wanted. And I'd do it quite efficiently and well. And I'd say, "Oh, there's a problem over here." And I'd, you know, I wouldn't sort of grasp anyone up, but I would just help as much as possible. Mm. So the officers knew that I could sort of be trusted because sometimes they gave these jobs to people who would just go and sell drugs or something. Mm. Yeah. So they knew I wasn't doing that. And and it just meant I just got more and more access. And so from a, I also quite early on thought I'm going to write about this. It's the most insane experience ever. I have to make yeah. a note of everything. Um, I thought I'd probably end up doing it as a book. But I thought for now, just write it all down. So it meant that when I was, oh, what's in the medical bay? What's in the psych mm. ward? What's in the kitchens or whatever? You just wanted to explore, yeah. I guess. 
yeah. and all the different jobs got you like imagine my mind map of the prison i just thought there's all these areas i want to just go and sort of see what's and it was new it's different you met new people and gave yeah. me something to do so it, i was sort of on a mission to kind of cross off all the the, the the squares in the prison that i hadn't hadn't been to yet it took about nine months chris can i just ask just going back to the, that experience of being in in the last couple of years i feel like i've experienced a bit of claustrophobia on the tube yeah and then if, I, if I'm in a lift now, I have to really sort of work at it going, it's fine, it's okay. How would someone or how does a prisoner like me suffering from possible claustrophobia deal with the door being locked? Bad, badly, I, w- I would say. Do it they never... sedate them? I mean, because no. I feel like I would go mad. Yeah. Yeah. You're, well, you're left, aren't you, I guess? Yeah, you're left. I mean, there were certain people who sort of said, oh, I've got claustrophobia, I've got claustrophobia, and... It, 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 you know they have sort of panic attacks and problems but yeah. it, they just were sort of unless you had like a diagnosed condition unless there was a doctor and you had to get access to a doctor and get sort of sign off on this then i think certain times certain people could say oh they could, they have to have their door open at certain key times they're trying to agree something like that but generally you're, you're stuffed i mean if you have a back pain they <sighs> would let you see um a chiropractor or what's or, or, or do, you, do you sort of mean there are certain mm. things that like there's no physio there so people were there with really bad health conditions that weren't getting the treatment they needed because the prison either didn't supply it or the doctor wasn't there that day or and there were people that were terrible mental health problems who weren't getting like the basic mental health care that you would get if you're in the community people were not getting in prison so claustrophobia just went into that whole. It's just down, It's just down so, the so that would just be just deal with it. Just shut the door. Yeah. Oh my god! I knew oh somebody went god. blind because he had a stroke. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. Some of the things he had a stroke and they didn't get. He didn't see a doctor for twenty four hours and ended up going par- partially blind. He's. I think he sued the prison over it. And if, you, if you have a stroke outside, they're, they're with you. The ambulances, even on mm. strike, they're going to be with you in twenty minutes or so. There is twenty four hours, and you know, lost his sight. So it's, you know, they just don't care. The system doesn't care. So insane. That's just so you would you would be let out of your cell one hour in twenty four to get to go outside. Would it be or on some days not at all? Some days you just wouldn't get let out at all. Yeah, but yeah, because they short start. You, you know, as again in the book, you just but say. But after well, I've not... been there a while, and this is just me, so I ended up getting to the kind of top tier of yeah experience uh, because of all the jobs I did, and that meant I was out whenever I but, wanted. But you also said there was. Because it's obviously government run and, and you said really efficiently, inefficiently run, yeah. there was times where, like, so much was reliant on you because you had 10 jobs. Yeah. Then there was no one to let you out the cell. So the knock-on effect of you not being able to do would mean yeah, yeah. someone wouldn't get their medication or someone yeah, wouldn't exactly. get yeah, yeah. get to see their lawyer or someone wouldn't. And so it was so broke. Like, it comes across in the book that you're, you found it so frustrating and so not easily fixed, but common sense couldn't be used yes. just to go, well, if you let me out now, I I can stop this knock-on yeah. thing that's going to yeah, yeah, yeah. give you months of problems down the line. But no, yeah. it's even they didn't have the people, no one had the common sense to go, why don't we just let Chris out and then we'll save ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be like... It wasn't oh, no, that level of joined-up thinking. It no, was that's, so it's quite up. frustrating to read in the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? You would see sometimes a one officer walk on the way and go, right, these prisons haven't been out for a day. Let them all out. Mm. And one officer would go around physically with a key, unlocking every single cell. Prisoners would come out 
Another senior officer would walk on and go, what the fuck are all these prisoners doing out? Lock them all away because they, they just got out. And someone would go, no, you're all back in your cell. Someone have to walk along and lock them all back up again. And I would just sit there watching it. I mean, you end up having to laugh at that because it was just so demented. You, you'd have to absorb the black comedy of it or you, mm. you lose your mind. But stuff like that would happen on like, a, you know, that was like a daily basis. That level of kind of dysfunctional inefficiency and people doing things that made the whole situation worse was just... How, how were the officers? Did you sort of befriend any of them? Or yeah. How did they deal with their jobs? And I felt really sorry for most of them. Yeah. Because yeah. they were hardworking. They went in the prison system for a good reason, which is they wanted sort of to, to, to help people. Um, there's a lot of young officers there, lots of women there who, who went in for all the best intentions. And they were struggling with a completely broken system and not enough not enough of them. And all they were doing all day was just locking people up and, you know, causing more misery, they thought. So I felt they were very, very sort of despondent and disheartened by the state of affairs in there. So I, you know, they would come and cry on my shoulders. <laughs> they would come into my cell and moan and go, come yeah. governor's getting us to do now. So it wasn't us and them no, with no, me and my no. friends. We were sort of working with them to, to, to try and sort of get through the day, really. And and you, it was us versus the system. It wasn't us versus the screws. Mm. You know, they would come and ask us for help. We would ask them for help. When we, there was a real problem, I'd go to certain officers I knew and say, look, there's a real problem brewing. And they go, all right, okay, I'll try and deal with that. Thanks. You know, there were some pricks, but there are in Fillmore and the police. Well, pricks. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a handful of pricks wherever you go. There's a handful yeah. of pricks. We're 100% yeah. prick. <laughs> like, like, um, can you explain what the situation for you was like when you'd got? Because just to sort of recap, you 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 built you sort of built your privileges up and became yeah, more yeah. and more trusted. Can you explain to sort of David and, and myself like, like what, what your life was like at the point where you'd kind of got in what you know what I sort of called your little white collar sort of yeah, corner because yeah, yeah. it was like a on a quiet wing you had like a a larger cell. It was almost like a relief yeah. for the reader. To kind of, I felt then that not you were safe, but like it was, it, it wasn't was like, too bad. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking about like it was a really moment where one of your pals kind of moves on because he gets his, yeah, gets his open prison thing. He got to and, open, and I got his, they're, they're basically in this mm. one corner of H Wing, which is just the calmest wing. If you walk, if I walked on now, you'd be like, fuck, this is horrible, but it's all comparative. Com- right? Yeah. And, and there was, that's where all the white collar people ended up at one end of this wing and the nickname for it was little hampstead <laughs> quite a few people there were and i live i live in short farm which is almost hampstead so yeah, and they were yeah. all bankers and lawyers and accountants and cities. so my cellmate first there was the former managing director of deutsche bank who was in for oh. inside trading so you know they weren't the kind of i don't normally hang around with city boys mm. in the outside world but they were the closest sort of to me like like attracts mm. like so mm. That made life a lot easier. We kind of watch each other's backs and share jobs and swap tips on how the prison worked and, and sort of help each other along the road. Mm. That was quite good. Uh, and then one guy, there were two big, big cells. Yeah, it's hard to explain. Like in the book, so, so your normal cell is, is six by 12, like the, the one you've seen. Um, yeah. But there were two wow. double cells, which were two cells like knocked through. And because the wall had gone and some other bits as well, they were quite large. It was like a small studio flat is the best way I can describe it. Very nice indeed. And <laughs> they were reserved for 
the listeners in the prison. So I'll quickly explain what that's this is. That's right, that's right. This, yes. That's a big part of what I ended up doing. It's yes. a big part of the book. So the Samaritans run a scheme in all British prisons because suicides and self-harm are such a horrendous problem. Like they're way, way higher than the, than the normal population. And so for 25 years or so, the Samaritans have run a scheme because it's very difficult to call the Samaritans from prison. It's very difficult to call anyone from prison. And there's no privacy. So you can't do a Samaritans call while you're on a wing with mm. 100 people running around. So they said, well, look, what we're going to do is we're going to train trusted prisoners to be uh, the Samaritan counsellor in the prison. And then other inmates who are suicidal or self-harming or just having a bad day can go and speak to them and they can do it face to face. And you have a one-on-one -on -one session with somebody as the sympathetic ear, the Samaritan, the shoulder to cry on, the counsellor, whatever. So those guys, the listeners in any prison, they're definitely in like the top tier of sort of trust and privileges. It's a very mm. trusted position because obviously if you give it to someone who's a drug dealer or something, mm. you know, it's, it's terrible. So you need they need to make sure that you are, you know, going to take this seriously. So I trained up quite, I applied straight away. I trained up quite quickly. And I became, did a month's training inside the prison with the Samaritans and other more sort of very experienced listeners. And then I moved quite quickly into the listener cells. So the listener cells were the double-sized. Yeah, so cells. people would come in and talk to you, wasn't it? Exactly. So yeah. you had a table and some nice chairs, or well, nice-ish chairs, mm. and then someone could come in and say, look, I'm having a really shit day. And you'd say, look, sit down, have a cup of tea, take your feet off, you know, take the, the load off your feet and, and have a natter about it. And all the studies and the research show that just by having that chat with someone in which you're not really giving advice, you're not... Mm. You know, it's, it's not therapy as yeah, such. It's just listening, wasn't it? Really? Just listening, so, just yeah. the offloads. Let them get all this stuff and say, like, why is that? And I'm really sorry. The sympathetic ear that massively helps. It helps lower suicides and self harm, and it helps lower violence because it means people are just less mm. stressed. But you put yourself. I remember you sort of talking about like your first one, and you put yourself in quite traumatic sort of situations. Yeah. And I remember you sort of. You, you were really chucked in at the deep end, weren't you? Yes. Like, and so you got this. You there is it. nowhere else to be chucked in one's work. Yeah, no well. But, like, bet, in but, you go. But that felt like in the book, like you were kind of, you know, you. I think maybe you were just, it was just like you thought you were going to be chaperoned, like being chaperoned with mm. one of the experienced listeners for a while and eased in and it was like, off you go, Chris, and you were like, "What the?" F and then you're faced with someone going through like hell. Yeah, right? you were basically dealing with the most vulnerable mm. and sort of damaged. I don't really want to say dangerous because most of them weren't um, people in the prison, and and it, very quickly you learn that sort of saying in mental health that someone suffering from mental health problem is far more likely to be the victim of violence than the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. so you had this idea that people who are psychotic are mad and are running around attacking people and they're not they're actually so kind of vulnerable and don't know what's going on that they're actually a target for violence right, right. so i don't want to say that these the people that i was dealing with were physically dangerous some were and we had ways of dealing with that so we, some people if you thought they were okay you would get them in my cell there was another what we call the listener suite which was next door which is just an empty cell purposely for the job of, of doing the listening work. So I would often go and get locked in. I would get locked in the room with these people because the officers would bring them and say, we've got another one for you, Chris. I'll go, all right, yeah, get my cup of tea and I'll go next door with my notebook and you'd sit with them. And then sometimes when the officer said, look, this guy wants to see a listener, but he's, he's a bit excitable or something, I'd say, right, well, we'll do it through the door. So I'd go to their cell 
the locked door and talk to them through the door. And sometimes they would go mad and start screaming and punching, but there was a nice thick door between. But that's like, that's, that is traumatic. I mean, like that you were experiencing their sort of troubles with them. You know, that's, yeah. did you, you know, that's quite a lot to take on, isn't it? It like, was, it was huge. And it's a big part of my sentence in, in Wandsworth in terms of me getting through it. But it was, you know, when you've done, you know, you'd, done what I did, you were where I was, and you were feeling quite bad about that, and the impact you'd had on my friends and family, and especially on my son, and you were feeling quite annoyed and upset at yourself. There is a retributive element to be thinking, well, look, now I'm doing some good. Right. So it made me yeah. feel better about myself for all the shit that I'd caused by going, I I'm not wasting this time. I am mm. helping this person. Mm. I'm not like curing them. I'm not taking a year off their sentence but for half an hour i've sat yeah. and I've had a sympathetic chat and they're now smiling and we have a hug at the end and they go back to their cell and maybe their day's a little bit better and it's like so there's a, a good feeling that you get from thinking like, I, i'm actually yeah. providing some help because all the other jobs i was doing was just filling in forms and it was just bullshit admin. Yeah. It didn't, mm. didn't mean anything. Yeah, but the yeah. listening was like you got a strong it's like you know why teachers they don't get paid a lot right but they feel mm. good about the work they do mm. yeah satisfaction I, I got a lot of privileges out of it. I went, like, I got a nice bigger cell. I got on first name terms with the officers. I was in the shower whenever I wanted. So that helped. But I was also doing some good. Right. Yeah. your experience and from possibly people you met inside how how does a lifer deal with their situation going in and there is no end mm. it's it's interesting so lifers obviously it's the sort of slightly softer term for murderers people who've come right yeah and there weren't any of them in wandsworth okay and the reason for that is just a security thing so wandsworth is category b prison and lifers if you've been convicted of murder it's category A. So it's that's Belmarsh is the main one. They start out and then they get fed out to life at prisons once they've um, once they've been convicted. So however, I knew people who had been given 25 years for dealing drugs. You know, drug sentences are, are vast at the moment. So I mean, look, they weren't street dealer, they'd have been importing tens mm. of kilos of heroin or something. But so I knew people, and that was 25 years. You, you always serve half the sentence, right? So if it's a fixed term, right. yeah, you divide yeah. by two. So I got five, served two and a half. So I knew people who were looking at like at least the next dozen years behind bars. And that was, you know, 
hugely <laughs> head fuck for them. So how do they? How do how do they get through it? How do they? It quickly everything gets normalised. It's right. quite mad. People like that at the start, it's screwing their heads like it was for me. Like me trying to imagine two and a half, two and a half, two and a half was mm. just overwhelming. Um, but it's amazing how quickly the mind and body adapts to their situation. And because you weren't seeing the outside world, you weren't going out for a day and coming back. Mm. This became your world. Mm. You spent your day going, how am I going to get some biscuits? Or how am mm. I going to get that shower? Are we going to play football? Do you think we can get a football match? Can we persuade the officer to let us out to play football? Yeah. And your focus becomes on very small day-to-day -day things that are going to actually impact your life. Mm. And walking around going, oh, I've got 10 years to do quickly goes off so when i was a listener i would get some people coming in going especially people who are on remand or people who just been sentenced that was obviously the big thing but nine times out of ten they weren't coming in going i've got 10 years in custody i've done two i've got eight to go and i can't cope that was quite rare people would come in and go my wife's leaving me my kid isn't writing to me anymore right they're taking my house they're um my cellmate's pissing me off that was number one was it really yeah, food, you know, I can't get out for exercise or, you know, that I can't get medication. It was all about the here and now. What yeah. the big picture kind of, your mind deliberately, I think, pushes the big picture stuff away because mm. if you just walk around going, fuck, I've got 10 years, I've got 10 years every day, you'll, you'll go crackers. So for you, how long did it take to ease that sort of pain of thinking how long you had? A couple of months, I think. Right. It would come in waves. So even six months in, I'd suddenly have a day where it would hit me and I'd be overwhelmed by it and I'd get really sad and upset. Yeah. And that, that would happen. But it yeah. wasn't common. And as time went on, those days got less. And the mad thing, I had more problems with that at open prison. Did you? Wandsworth, for all its faults, and I could spend another three hours talking about its faults, the advantage of Wandsworth was it was so mad. It was so chaotic. It was so dysfunctional. It was so exciting in a way. There was always something crazy going on. My listening work was just so off. I'm never going to do anything like that again in my life. It was almost a bit like being an ambulance driver, but for the mind is the best way I can describe it. It was, and I was writing it all down and I was thinking, God, I'm getting great content out of this. And it, 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 time passed so quick. It was all, there was so much to kind of, um, uh, to, to, to fill your senses and fill your day and to talk about that you were just, just getting through the day. And it was very funny as well. I mean, I, I've, we talked for 55 minutes now. I haven't gone about how incredibly darkly funny prisons are. Like, it was a very, very, kind of, it was like dystopian faulty towers, is the best way I can describe <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch and, that. And that humour got you along. We were always laughing. Like, me and my cellmate, Martin, the Deutsche Bank guy, we've always said we've never laughed as much in our lives as we did when we shared that cell together. Because wow. it was so ridiculous what we were seeing. This sort of totally collapsing sort of, a public body um, run by idiots and with these deranged politicians trying to sort of make it worse all the time. But that, that humour and that energy kind of dragged you through in a very yeah. mad way. Time passed very, very quick. Once I got in the flow, time passed very, very quickly in Wandsworth. And then when I got to open prison, time slowed down. There was nothing going on. So that gave you more time in your own head to go, oh, shit, I've got another year and a half to right. go. And, and so I got more depressed. I got more down in open prison, depressed than I ever did in Wandsworth. Because that's mad, because in the book, that was all you wanted. Yeah. It's like, that's your that's your golden goose, and you yeah. got there. And 
Oh no, and it was better. Like at yeah, Open yeah. Prison, I, I suddenly got two hour visits with my son rather than one hour visit. You know, then I started going on day release. Mm. I like saw the sun. If you look at the photo, I'm, I've still got my mugshot of when I came out, went, got to Ford, and I looked like fucking like a vampire. I haven't seen daylight for sort of Fuck, that's so, better. That's so, so weird. It was yeah, better, but it, it's but still psychologically. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a lot going on in Wandsworth. When I went to Lewis, I just remember the walls, the outside the exterior walls being so high, mm. and all you got was like this postage stamp of blue sky. Yeah, it's just that that's the outside world. Everything else is just brick. Mm. Just oh, when like you talk, I was I was thinking like you walked in and you saw this terrifying place, and it made you feel like terrified. Yeah. Did you, when, you know, after sort of nine months, did, was that just like, well, didn't have any effect on you? Like, it, it's just like, that Lovely. must be a mad thing to go from the terrifying. I'll give this... you, I'll, get, I'll tell you a, a little story about this, because one of the things I had to go through was when I was in Wandsworth was confiscation, which is just a process where they say, right, we want to take the, pro, the, the, the money that you've taken. It wasn't even me. My company took and spent on this film. And it turned out to be comparatively not very much but i had still had to go to court and have that argued out and then you agreed a fee and i say okay fine, oh I'll, yes i remember this i'll sell yeah. my house and i'll settle it um which i did but that going to court and back was real pain in the ass everyone hated going back to court and i remember being in court and i went back down to cell and i was like can someone take me back to prison now i like i really want to get back to prison the maddest <laughs> thing but i was like is there a bus go because they've just done me could i just i think it's a bus go. can i get i just really want to go wow. back to prison. i remember sitting in the van going can't wait to get back to the wing. Now that's mad. That <laughs> that's is insane. That's my mates. I had my t- I had my tea and coffee. I had my food. Had your routine, basically. I had my yeah. routine. I was going to play a game of backgammon that night. I was, you know, someone was going <sighs> to come to my cell wow. and tell you together. It was like I had a plan for the day, and I, I just want to get away. And from they it. were screwing it up by. <laughs> I just wanted to get back. So it, it's it, you know it's your home, and you stop being scared of it. Mm, yeah. So that day you're let out. What's that like? Well, it was weird. But so I went, I went to open prison. Yeah. And then when I, was, I was at Ford for a couple of months and I got transferred to Spring Hill, which is Spring. much, much better. It's where all the better oh. white people go. In, um, <laughs> Where's uh, that? It's in Oxfordshire. So it's really close to Oxfordshire. Of course it is. And I got uh, on, because I was doing a psychology, I started doing a psychology degree with the Open University. And there was an opportunity when I was at Spring Hill to actually continue so for the last half of my time in custody for 15 months to go out and study at Oxford Brooks, which is wow. the, was the polytechnic in, in, in Oxford. And they would let me go every day, all day, every day, and go and sit and study and do psychology. So I went, I could wear my clothes, I could go wow. out. I, let, I spent 12 hours a day outside the prison grounds. I just went back to sleep and just sat in the library drinking cappuccinos. <laughs> 20-year-old girls doing psychology. I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't hard, that. Yeah. So yeah. by the time I finished, I'd been going out all the time. Right. It wasn't like... So, okay. so that first day I went to Brooks, that was a head fuck. Like, the first time I, I went out into the world, I was like, everyone's looking at me. Really? I thought I'd have, like, stripes on my back. I was wearing my normal clothes, but I just thought everyone was looking at me. It was really, really horrible. I would, didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy my first day out at all. It took me about a couple of weeks to actually kind of go... Because I kept thinking I'm going to get in trouble, that I'm not supposed to be here. What, oh. I'm going to be late back. They're going to tell so me what's off. what's it like when you've done 20 years? Like you say, you, think, you know, you go to open prison and you blah, blah, blah. What's that going to be like? Well, there are a lot of lifers in... in uh, so, so I got to... You asked earlier about lifers, and there weren't any in Wandsworth, but there was a lot in open. 
because they right. have to they have right. to go through the open prison system because they can't just let them out into no so they are sort of going out oh well some of them they were like hadn't used the mobile phone didn't know what the internet was you know so mad there was a guy I, I remember he was on my corridor and again you don't really ask what people have done but you know they're a lifer so you know they probably killed someone mm. or they were part of a this whole conspiracy thing is is mad because you would have gang killings where some and you read about them in the papers every day but you'd have someone who was sort of stabbed to death but there'd be six people who were prosecuted for that and only one of them had done the stabbing mm. quite often there'd be someone who was just he, they were in a gang in mm. a fight they hadn't even dealt the final blow or dealt any blow but they were the lookout or whatever mm. so there's a lot of guys like that but there was a guy um, on my corridor and I remember going into that and he, he still had mini discs do you remember mini discs yeah the sort of yeah. yeah yeah well exactly yeah and so he was put in, he said, I remember it was 9-11 had just happened when he went away. And he got a mini-disc player sent in. So he just kept all his mini-discs going. And this was like 2018 or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, no one's doing it. He's taking them all with him. And I was like, dude, no one does mini-discs there. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, I'm going to blow your mind here, but you don't need any of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it was so, but they were quite humble and they were sort of, you know, that accepted their wrongdoing and they'd got to the end of their time and and you know, they were old men a lot of them they were quite yeah. old so it was it was mad for them it was mad for me i remember what i'd done 15 months of being in restrictive custody before i was allowed out on my first day release so it was only 15 months really it's not that long having been let out how long before you felt like i'm i feel okay now i'm feel as i did before i went in i don't think that's or how, how much is is it if, yeah, affected. I guess that was my question yeah. as well. Like, how how are you now? What how has it changed you? you but it's uh... four years. So my sense, my custody time ended just over four years ago. So, I, you know, I don't, I am back to all, but I don't think I'll be the person I was before I went away. But that's probably a good thing. I was I was a bit mad. So <laughs> it's calm. <laughs> a lot of my friends, all my friends say I'm I'm a much nicer person now. Right. Because you do think like. I want to know what in. you were like before. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a Mohican? <laughs> you have a Mohican? Naughty Chris. No, I was a Mohican on the inside. The, uh, uh, you, you do realise how lucky you are. Mm. You know, it's quite a humbling experience. And people would write me letters going, God, you were so unlucky. It's so awful. And I said, no, I feel, I don't want to sound like pious, but I said, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world because I'm walking around Wandsworth with people who have nothing. People who have been through the care system, dropped out of school at 14, been in and out of trouble their whole lives. They've got mental health problems. They've got drug addiction problems. You know, this is going to be their life until they die, really. Yeah. A lot of, sadly, I mean, I wasn't sort of gloating at that. I was it was awful. I was mm. trying to help as much as I could. And they are stuck here. And I'm going to get out. And I've got a great support network. I've got friends and family who are going to look after me. I'll probably find some work. I'm going to have somewhere to live. I'm going to see my son again. Like, my life's going to be okay this is a pause. So I, I felt comparatively great but in a way because it's like I'm not, it, it, these other people are so much more disadvantaged than me. Mm. And, and and I'm very, very lucky in comparison. Like I had friends and family wanting to help all the time and so many people rallied round. And most, so many other people in prison didn't have any of that. And, yeah. and that is quite a sort of humbling, like, God, you, 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 you know, you're going to be okay. Mm. Yeah. So I didn't, and, and you come out looking at the world in a very, very different way yeah a much more kind of humbling way and sort of knowing your place in it i guess so what are you doing now chris what are you working on oh some really mad things it's weird i'm 
I don't want to gloat, but it didn't do my career any harm at all. The book was uh, the book a bit of a stretch. Well, you're on Chatterbix. <laughs> exactly, it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but there's always a blip. So the book was quite successful, and then I sort of did a podcast that was quite successful, and then I started. I'd, I've been making this document weirdly. I've been making a documentary about the KLF, the band, the KLF. Mm-hmm. Years before I went away, and I actually, when I was at open prison, I got my Mac delivered. Some friend came and dropped my Mac off, which had all this. Stuff. I hadn't got around to editing anything. I just been right. filming. I was so busy, so I just thought, well, I've got the time now. Go through it. So I started editing away, and I got a good cut together. And then, so when I got out, we finished that. We got the KLF film finished, and that came out about a year ago, and that did really, really well. It's called yeah. Who Killed the KLF. And then, then because of that. I can't talk too much about this because it's coming out soon. But the, because of that, I then got to make this documentary about James Blunt, which I'm James making. James Blunt? I'm yeah, James Blunt. So I'm finishing that. I'm slightly obsessed with James Blunt, if I'm honest. I, Are you? Yeah. Well, I am. I mean, uh, well, yeah, you're I probably more about obsessed with yeah, yeah, yeah. You're more. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, let's just have a trivia yeah. quiz. Come on, come on. Yeah, I'm also making a film about James Blunt. So we'll see who. Oh. We'll see. see you on the battlefield. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and you, I really enjoyed the Vardy Rooney. Yeah, that was a bit mad as well. Yeah, because I, I, I was watching it and I was like, Chris, right there? Because I messaged you. I like it. I was like, in Congress uh, sidestep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great fun. But I think it was because it was about a trial and they were like, mm. well, you've been on trial, so you know sort of what it's oh, like. the detail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I suppose I do. Yeah. So that I, I, I think someone there had sort of read my book and said, oh, and I did. Um, I did a docudrama about seven years ago about UKIP, actually, that's st- still one of the most complained about films of all time. We got 6,000 Ofcom complaints for that. So <laughs> I think Channel 4 thought, oh, well, we get the docudrama guy and he's been to prison now, so let's get him back to, to write yeah. about Wagatha Christie. And I was obsessed with the trial. I thought the trial was such good popcorn. That, Who yeah. came up with Wagatha Christie as a comedian, was that, it? Dan yeah. Atkinson, yeah. Dan Atkinson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he sort of... He had did a Guardian article about it a few months ago because he wasn't credited with it for ages. But they did I think the someone time. else decided they had come up with it first. So there was even a right. battle over who came up with <laughs> yeah. it. <all> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because there's no sort of financial gain from it or anything, is it? Just like no. well, you win and you go, okay, you came up with Wag of the Christie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Put that on your CV. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. all you need. Um, so yeah, that was a bit mad. So it's been quite. It's, I'm, I'm writing another book, and, and so it's it's been quite a busy. It's been a very busy year actually. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of riding the riding the post post prison wave. I think in the media <laughs> and arts, you know, because you've got a story and you've had an experience, it doesn't necessarily count. It can count for you because they're like, well, because a lot of writers have just done listicles for BuzzFeed and yeah. you know I mean? it's like they haven't lived, they haven't had a big yeah. life experience to draw to draw on and I can mm. sort of draw on it mm. uh, and for, for, for my writing now. Yeah. I know lots of criminals as well. So if, if Well, that's know, what I was going to ask. Are you still in contact with Ted? Not, not, not with Ted, but I'm in contact with quite, quite, quite a lot of them. They call me, they write to me, they email, you know, because a lot of my friends who I knew from inside yeah. have gone back for various reasons and they're sort of in and out. So yeah. I've got quite a colourful Rolodex. 
Like James Blunt and uh, some Arm Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to come to your birthday party. Yeah, exactly. My book launch is <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for doing this. This is oh, fantastic, no. Chris. No, I love chatting. I love chatting about it. And it does, it gets the word out that, you know, the system is screwed and Yeah. That's what it really does. It that's that was yeah. the surprising thing about the book. I mean, in a, you know, you you sort of learn so much about the laws of the systems mm. and it's quite fun that's the only other thing if i'm gonna sell my own book is it is funny oh yeah it's a bit of a stretch it's a bloody good laugh <laughs> yeah. yeah it is yeah. funny it's really funny it's yeah. it's it's a, just your frustration to it's really funny like arthur dent in prison is how i sort of right you know, yeah yeah the galaxy it's like hitchhiker's guide to prison i guess it's, yeah it's, it ge- genuinely, I loved it, and yeah, go and oh, go and buy it. A bit of a stretch, and your uh, podcast as well. I'm gonna podcast is free. It's on Spotify. It's the same name, a bit of a stretch. Great. I'm all over that. Give me chatting some legs. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. you've just that, literally the mother load for me. That is, that's exactly. Yeah, I know what it is. Isn't it? <laughs> go, go, go. Oh, brilliant. Well, look, thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, thanks guys. to meet you. Yeah, oh, really I can't lo- wait. Let, let me know when it's on, and I'll tweet about it. Oh, more, please, that'd be great. Yeah. Cheers, Chris. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. See you. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.